I'm Sharon from Sharon Lawson Bram. I'm here with my daughter, Randy. And you're listening to Tobin Tonight. into right off the hop like we've had other children's uh, entertainment act on we've had like uh splash and boots we've had sunshine and broccoli jeremy fisher and they basically have said sharon lois and bram really is where they get a lot of their inspiration from and kind of how they got into i guess children's entertainment i will always tell them you don't need to tell me i am already a bot customer Uh, I am from Newfoundland originally. So like waking up in the morning when I was five and six, watching my parents get ready to go to work, it's like MTV would come on. And I think it's like clockwork, seven, seven thirty. It would be the Adams family. But right before then, if I was lucky enough, or as my parents would say, unlucky on their end to be up at like six or six 30, it was like, how do we get Brian to just be quiet? Like, leave us alone. Oh, I have an idea. Let's put on Sharon Lois and Bram. And that that was it. They're like, we're gonna sneak off to work. Someone else is gonna take care of you when they get up. But for at least a good solid 30 minutes, we know that he is content. So I'm sure if my parents were uh on this as well, they'd be saying, Oh my god, thank you. Thank you for letting him leave us alone. <laughs> That's very nice. Well, we know we were babysitters for a lot of people. And by the way, just to be clear. We never describe ourselves as performers for children. We say it's family entertainment because one of the reasons I I believe one of the reasons that we were successful as much as we were is because the parents didn't run screaming from the room. They the music was good, the quality of the music, the arrangements, it was all intended to speak to a whole family. When I mentioned about the other acts that kind of put you over or give you these kind remarks. It's like, you know, you have teamed up with uh, Splash and Boots. I've seen recently that they've posted some clips with you and uh, Bram doing some work. And it's interesting to me because when I was doing a little bit of history on how you guys came to be, as a six-year-old, you're not doing the research. You're just entertained. (laughs) When you get older, you want to know this stuff. But when we had them on, they were talking about the obstacles of putting out so many CDs and pitching their TV show, and it was just not coming to be. And I asked them, like, was there ever a standpoint where like, it's not coming, we're just going to give up? And they said, no, we knew we had something. It's interesting because even when we had Hal Johnson on from um, Body Break, he mentioned the same thing and about borrowing money. And I was kind of like, oh yeah, like to borrow money from a friend or family almost to this day, it's like, do you have five bucks? Do you got 10 bucks? It's like, sure. But in your case, it was like, do you got, I think it was like 20,000 or like, or something of that nature. And I, from friends and family, I mean, who in this mindset would be like, here you go, go off and make a CD. But I guess they really believed in you or you felt the same way as these, like the modern day feel is we have something, so let's go get it. I, I would say that it was more um, a matter of the support that was not that we thought, oh, we've got something. We simply wanted to make a record, a really good record. And enough people who were connected to us one way or the other, either family or friends, believed in what we were doing and we're happy to give us wasn't five or ten dollars it was 500 or a thousand and the fact is they all got it all back very yeah. very quickly and then some. we didn't know that yeah. one yeah. and then some exactly we didn't know that would happen but but it certainly did which gave us a lot of pleasure did they ever come to you and was like 
remember uh, how you owed us or like you you gave us or we gave you this money um yeah like we want that back but we know what you're making so a little bit of interest on the side Did they ever come to you like that no they got they got paid back right away and they, got, and they earned additional on top of it. When Sharon, Lois, and Bram borrowed money for that record, they thought they were borrowing money to make one record and yeah. go back to their respective careers. The record, the first pressing of the record sold out instantly, and the investors were paid back within three months of the money being borrowed to finance the record. And then they continued to get profits after that. So they thought they were giving money. They didn't think they were lending money. They never expected right. to get it back and they didn't expect right. to get it back with interest. And everyone who was attached to that has been able to say how proud they were to help Sharon Lewis and Brand get their start, to be connected to such a hugely successful triple platinum award-winning record. And, and just for those who are not familiar because I know when we do post this video up, there are going to be people that are going to be wondering, like, of course they know who Sharon is, but just for those who are wondering, like explain your relationship to Sharon. Sure. So I'm her daughter and I have been watching their career unfold for the last 43 years. Uh, I sat in the kitchen with her and taught her songs that are on the first record. I have managed Sharon and Bram and I manage Elephant Records and do all of their special projects. And I am the author of all of the additional lyrics on their very successful Skin and Marine book and the next two book projects that we are working on for Sharon Wilson Bram right now. And I have the honor now of singing and collaborating with my mother on uh, Skin and Rink with Sharon and Randy. And we've been doing virtual concerts since um, the pandemic started. And I'm the proud mother. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, Randy, like just to toss you a question here, but like, you know, when you're growing up, of course, like I, I'm 20, yeah, 29 now. I don't want to, I don't want to get too much into it. Just turned it actually not too long ago, but it's like, I, I look at it from my standpoint is, you know, a six-year-old, seven-year-old watching these, you don't realize until you get older, like, oh, like this is Canadian or this is like in our own backyard per se. So it, it just made me more impressed. And then to see them get like the Order of Canada, get an honorary doctorate degree from Mount Vincent, yeah, uh, which is just from office over, right? So like when you're young watching your parents do this or your mom, What's going through your mind? Well, you know, both my parents were musicians and performers on stage. So for my whole life, watching them from backstage and sometimes joining them on stage, that, that was just part of my normal. So I just took it for granted that this was, you know, a perfectly normal experience. I was always immensely proud of both of my parents. And I was always involved in Sharon Lois and Bram, either looking for songs and sharing songs with them that I had found or selling records or sometimes being the elephant. You know, I, I worked in their office. I just, you know, I was so proud of what they were doing. I wanted to be a part of it. And by the way, Randy's dad, my husband, Joe, my late husband, he was a member of the Travelers, a Canadian folk song group, that folk music group that traveled and worked in Canada and beyond for many, many, many years. And he also was hugely involved in the beginning of our 
in helping us launch. He did a lot of arrangements, musical arrangements for us, particularly vocal arrangements. Some of our most interesting and challenging vocal arrangements came from Joe. So we had a musical household for sure. I think it's interesting like to me. So again, I'll, I'll bring it up because I'm just fascinated by it. Because when, when you're younger, you'll turn on a TV show or whatever just to keep you entertained or just keep you distracted. I, I did have the actual disc in my closet. I, I, I had it, let's put it this way, I did have it. And then when I had a niece and nephew that came over when they were younger, they have now taken it. And I thought I still had it, but apparently it's still down to their house. Um, but, <laughs> well, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's still being in use. But I remember my brothers, I had two other brothers that were just annoyed of the uh, of always hearing the skinnamarink or anything. And they're older. They're like 10, 12 years older. So I get it. I understand it. But as a kid, you're like, no, I want to watch it. So you got to deal with it. But yeah, they gave it to me as a Christmas gift a few years ago. And they thought it was like hilarious to like, you used to drive us nuts with this. Ironically enough, I think you guys were in Ottawa that year. Uh, doing a tour and I think you were going to Newfoundland as well and I think at both times I was reaching out and I think the Ottawa one I missed by a few days and then when you got to Newfoundland uh I think there was just a scheduling issue but I was like man I was like they were literally in both of my backyards and uh -huh. probably like a bus trip away and you don't just, you don't sound like a Newfoundlander oh I, I, hear I mean it. I can't sound like a Newfoundlander if you wants me to bring up the accent I hear it past, but there you go <laughs> We went many, many times to Newfoundland, loved Newfoundland, loved going there. Did you ever get screeched in? Oh, yes. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's almost yeah. like she's, she, she's she's basically looking at me like, you're supposed to be a Newfoundlander. What are you talking about? Of course we do that. What are you doing? Exactly. Um, I want to get back to like just the, the beginning of how this all came to be, because I want to mention, like, just explain to me how the three of you met, how it more or less became... Um, this idea of we're going to do music, family-friendly music. Explain all that to me. So Bram and I were both involved in the folk music community in Toronto when we were teenagers. There was a big coffee house movement in Toronto. It was very, very successful. So we were both singing around the coffee house movement. I was doing music for children almost from the beginning. And I made a record with a French Canadian and Michel Choquette and after I was married and started having family, I met, actually it was after both kids, Randy has a brother as well, and it was after Jeffrey was born, I met Lois. I was doing a program called Mariposa in the schools, and Graham was also involved in that program where we went into schools for a day at a time and did four or five workshops, singing with classrooms of children. And a, a great opportunity and learning experience for us. And Lois was doing a program called Music for Children in the Library. And we met through a mutual friend who knew that we were both working with children and, and thought we should know each other. And so we became friends and colleagues at that point. Along the way, we decided that we wanted to make a record. We were going to make a, a record with Mariposa in the schools, and that got sort of delayed. And Bill Usher, who was the producer, said, well, why don't we make a record? And so we decided to make a record. We didn't decide to start a career, but simply to make one record. Yeah. And it was really the response to the record, One Elephant Just Elephant, that launched a long and successful, surprising career for us. The thing that I kind of like about the dynamic now, of course, when you're on stage, you know, you're, you're all getting along. When you're writing songs, of course, there is some give and take. But in my mind, and, you know, I, I mean this with no disrespect, this is just my kind of mindset or imagination, but, like, when I look at the group, I'm thinking, 
almost like a Golden Girls kind of concept where it's like she's the Dorothy and you're like the Betty White. <laughs> there are some times where it's like when, when you look back at this, it's like you're happy-go-lucky. But I feel like she's, and I could be wrong, but I feel like she just seems like she'd be the one that's like, no, we have to do it this way. We have to keep in line. Uh, like, I want everything done this way. It's like, well, can you kind of give and take? And she's just still like, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I have to be in charge here a little bit, too. <laughs> That was never like that. No, not at all. I mean, the thing is, we were three individuals with three different points of view, and we talked and, you know, we collaborated. And sometimes, you know, I mean, there was never, there was never any, you have to do it this way. That, that, simply you know, um, are in addition to them being professional partners, they were also friends and they didn't start when they were teenagers or in their 20s. They started, after they were established people with spouses and children, and they had enduring successful relationships. So they already- We knew how to do that. Yeah, they knew how to, to get along and to work through challenges. And, you know, Lois's son is continues to be one of my best friends. He's my contemporary. We grew up together. Bram and Lois were very much aunt and uncle figures to me. And- you know, in addition to them working together, we played together. We celebrated holidays and milestones together. We vacationed together. You know, Sharon and, and Bram and their spouses traveled to Africa together. There's, you know, there's just a deep respect and fondness that makes it possible to do what you love and to find the common ground to make things work. You mentioned, of course, about Elephant Records. I like how that ties in because essentially it was the Elephant Show that you you started way back and then that kind of went into the Skinnamarink Show. And that, I think, is where I kind of got involved in watching you through the CBC program, which also I spent my days, like I feel like a little bit of a couch potato even when I was younger because it's like, you know, you've got Skinnamarink, you've got Mr. Dress Up, Mr. Rogers. It's almost like, Brian, go out and do something. It's like, but, but why would I? Like <laughs> right here. And it's like, yeah, but there are people outside. I'm like, yeah, but there are people on their shows. It's like, I'm tired of everyone with a seven-year-old. Do what you got to do. Like e explain how that came to be in the aspect, because I know today, like kind of relating to today of when you see acts like Splash and Boots that have said about struggling to get on Treehouse and overcoming that obstacle. Like it's almost like now someone can start a YouTube channel or go on TikTok and be like, I'm just going to sing my songs and people are going to watch me and that creates a following. So tell me, I guess, in your own aspect of how hard that was and the changing of the times compared to today. Well, I think we were lucky with the times. We came around at a time when there were not terrible economic times so people could take a chance on an unknown. So I think that's what happened with our records. As far as TV, we were not looking for TV. It was not, we didn't yeah. say, oh gosh, let's do a TV series. That, that did not happen at all. We were approached. People came to us who wanted to do TV, and that's how we came to do it. The Elephant Show came to, we had done some specials for CBC. Just by chance, we met the head of children's programming at an event, and she said, we've got to do something together. So some, several specials for, T, for CBC were born. The guys who, you know, Arnie Sapersky and Bruce Glosson, who were the producers of The Elephant Show, came to us. They didn't have children, but they had nieces and nephews and they'd heard about us and they said, you know, let's do something. So 
it all kind of evolved in a very natural way and we didn't have to be out there hustling trying to make it happen i don't know if we would have if we'd had to but we we didn't have to it's like today when you see someone like start a youtube channel like so i've got like a, a niece that's eight and a nephew that's five and just you know, around five and like just to see them what they watch on youtube and you know i'm here doing podcasting on youtube and i know that's not essentially like my platform per se of what you see on content but it's like I'll see ones that uh, you'll see someone like 18 or 19 that's like, and now we're going to unbox this today and we're going to show you how to do this. And then like, it, it's in my mind. So I don't know if it's just a generation that you grew up with, but like if I'm doing a YouTube channel or whatever, I'm asking someone like, please like it, please share it. But I, I don't like, don't feel entitled to have to do that. But if you would, great. But I listen to some of the stuff that they watch and it's like, I've noticed that 50 people didn't subscribe to my channel. And I'm just like, how oh, do you that at 12 that 15 people didn't like, I'm like, shouldn't you be more worried about, you know, going outside and playing? And they're like, my Minecraft isn't always built up. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm so happy that when I was younger, it was literally like, turn on the TV, turn on Sharon Lois and Bram, go around, sing and dance. And the best part about it was even if you had embarrassing dance moves, no one knows about it. Because you know what? <laughs> the VHS tapes, you can't dig them up. Now it's almost like someone can put up a TikTok video of them dancing and they're like, oh my God, I, I delete that. It's like, too bad. It's trending now. It's like, oh. <laughs> so I, I think you were right. You came along at the right time, uh, like the right place. Sometimes things align like that. But tell me when you're doing, of course, like these live shows, that's something that we don't do now during COVID. I, I guess when you look back now, you're you're probably thankful that hey, we actually get to do live shows or we got to. Take me back to those days. Like what things do you remember about the live shows? What things did you you like, you miss? Everything. COVID is horrible. And the fact that people aren't supposed to sing, it, it feels like the ultimate tragedy. Live shows were, were, I mean, it was hard work. We traveled and we were away from home and our families, but you got on the stage and the love that came pouring at us it was just as good as it could be. That was, it was wonderful. We loved doing that. And the envy from an audience, there's nothing quite like it. But, you know, I also like doing other stuff. I like, I loved recording. We loved recording. We loved doing TV. We were lucky. We had a very, a multifaceted career. And even during this time, and Randy is very aggressive about getting us to do Facebook Live. And then we did other live performances, which were, it was so different to do them on zoom you know to do them but you do the best you can do under the circumstances you're living in we're looking for ways to connect with our audience still and to also provide them with some respite and escape from the crummy the hardship of right now in right now so yeah. you know my children and my boyfriend are are very musical and we are very lucky to be able as a family to make music together in safety and to share that. For us, it's a, an elixir or a, you know, an antidote to, to all of this. And the happy consequence of it is that it also is that way for people who enjoy the music of Sharon Lois and Bram. So we get to continue to share it. And we're always looking for different platforms to do that. So we just ventured into TikTok this week. So this is a, a new platform for us, but we put a little video of I'm slowly going crazy up there and then we duetted 
that with Bram and people seem to be really excited to see it. So that was a fun little thing to do. You know what? I feel like Randy doesn't get enough credit here because she's doing a lot of the marketing for you guys. Like, cause you know, oh. like as much yeah, as they give me credit. Yeah. As, as much as much as it's uh, it's sad, and I, I mean this with like no disrespect, but like you know sometimes when things happen or trends happen, it's like some acts will be like, no, I'm not getting into that, and then you you just lose track of them. They're they're gone. It's almost like a history book where just say if you never went on Instagram, never used Facebook, you're like ten years behind now per se, and then it's like, well, geez, now I have to play catch up all over again to get that fan base back, or to them to show like I'm still here. It's just that I wasn't on the platform that you all went to. Um, so I think that's like good marketing. Randy is terrific. She <laughs> has a million ideas. If left to my own devices, I'd be sitting at a cor- corner reading a book or what I'm doing tonight, which is, by the way, baking a cake. It's The ingredients are all waiting for me to do to the mixing and put it in the oven. But Randy encourages that, too, because she knows her family will benefit from, from my baking. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the ones that, like, you'll have it done, and then they come over and be like, oh, thank you so much. It's like, could you save one for me? Could something? Like, yeah, <laughs> right. I saved you plenty last time, remember? I, I like, though, that you mentioned, of course, about getting more kind of out there for people in this pandemic, because when we had Jeremy Fisher on earlier during the pandemic, he mentioned a really cool aspect that maybe you guys have grown to like or didn't really get in a live performance kind of aspect but he mentioned like his example I think was along the lines of Brian imagine if you're watching Sharon Lois and Bram on TV back in like the 90s I was like okay he's like now imagine them actually talking to you back I'm like I'd be a little bit scared at first I'd be thinking I'm going out of my mind I'll be asking what kind of cookies did my mom bake but I, I think that's what he was getting to was almost like now with you know Facebook live Instagram live all these things there could be a child out there that would like literally wave at you and you could wave back at them. They're like, Oh my God, they they just waved at me. Like we do, we do, we do try to connect in that way. I mean, when we were doing the Facebook lives, we could see the comments coming in and occasionally we get an email from someone saying, you know, it's my daughter's birthday. She's going through a particularly rough time right now. And a little shout out made all the difference to them. You know, we've transitioned over to virtual concerts where we do that on Zoom and we actually get to see the audience. You know, we did a Halloween concert and we asked the kids and their families to dress up and then we, you know, featured them. They got to be the stars too. So we're just doing everything we can to try and connect since we can't connect in person right now. When you're doing these live concerts, of course, like you do get sometimes maybe a meet and greet with a, a child and their family, but like the live aspect to you, is it kind of like interesting or cool to you like in real time now that you get the reaction? Cause I think of it as a way of, I can go to a Rascal Flats concert and hold up a sign. I could be like 20 feet back and they might see it and wave and be like, see you. And I'm like, okay, that's not really so personal. But if I go on a zoom and I could make 20 comments and then finally he says, I see you in Newfoundland thank you for like buying my CD. I'm like, okay, that feels a little bit more personal. So do you get that kind of aspect? Well, there were many aspects of touring that were, that did feel very personal. There were people who came for meet and greet and, and also people waited for us after the shows. I mean, we would be, when we were touring in the States in particular, we'd be going out to the bus and there'd be a hundred people waiting at the stage door at the backstage door. And we greeted people when, when, if they waited, then we went, you know, we walked around and shook hands and said hello as, 
as much as we could. And the thing is that what you got from the audience in a live show felt very connected. People would call out things and it, it just felt, we felt connected. So the fact that we're able to do it through these Zoom concerts is really gratifying. I mean, at the end of our concerts, Randy sets us up so that we can say hello to the people who hang around after the show. We can see them and say hello to them one by one. When you're talking about touring the States, like, did it ever dawn on you at times when you're touring, like, we are a Canadian act and we are now in the States? Because it's basically when you make it in the States, it's like the sky's the limit. So when you got there, was there ever like even just mid-show or after show going like, wow, like we came from Toronto and like all these people in like, say, Minnesota or Detroit or wherever are like, they're here to see us. We're Canadian and you guys are coming to see us. The thing is that people in the United States came to see us because before that, all over Canada, people came to see us. We yeah. were accepted. We were loved. We always felt proud to be Canadian. And we knew that Canada set the standard for us. It, it gave us the opportunity. Mind you, when the Elephant Show went on Nickelodeon TV, our yeah. U.S. touring changed dramatically. And, you know, when we're in New Jersey singing to thousands of people or Chicago at one of the outdoor venues sing, singing to, or, or I remember we did a, a state fair. There were about 10,000 people there. It was like, pinch me. Is this really happening? I didn't think so much about, you know, we're Canadians and they're accepting us because, as I say, we felt very accepted and beloved in Canada. By the same token, I mean, Lois was from Chicago. So for her to perform in her hometown for her family was extremely meaningful. And Absolutely. for all of us, we were all huge fans of New York. Um, you know, our family started visiting there when I was um, a young person. And so when Sharon, Lois and Bram got to perform on Broadway, that was another one of those amazing experiences. And also, I mean, we got to go to, to the UN General Assembly. I think that's the only time there's been a live music performance in there was uh, the 50th anniversary of UNICEF when Sharon Lois and Bram played inside the United Nations General Assembly. So there have been certain events that were pinch me moments, like, wow, this is a really remarkable thing that is that we are getting to experience you know when you're mentioning about breaking into the states i look at it in the aspect of say today where you have the wiggles and you see the wiggles on treehouse and you have canadians that when they come up to edmonton toronto and it kind of puts it in perspective it's like all right like without treehouse to show their program we might not have known them so it's like vice versa nickelodeon gave you kind of the platform of it's like hey it's like right. don't forget we're here as well <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you go on these concerts going all over the world, per se, like, is there any particular moments you remember or like any kind of keepsakes that you'll think about every now and again? Like, I know for me, I, I like to go in the moment, but if there's something like a shirt that I'll take back, fine. I know with certain interviews, I'll look back at these like 20 years later and be like, I remember that clip. I remember that moment. Is, are there those kind of moments that still kind of hit you today? Well, I can I can tell you when when they were at the height of their touring from time to time I would join them and one of the things that they were really good at was finding the best places to eat <laughs> in every town that they were performing in. So in Hawaii we had a fabulous end of tour dinner. I don't remember that. 
Yeah, we had all of us in um, Honolulu on the last night. I remember a huge long table with everyone from the tour having dinner together. I were in California, in New York. The first time I went to California, Lois knew of a, a special restaurant in Berkeley owned by Alice Water. Oh, and right. Lois was the one who found, I mean, she would find the restaurants. But we were big on end of tour dinners. We would always take the band and the crew and everybody out. And we'd have a big, you know, big long table and have a really good eat. One of the guys who worked with us, Henry, years ago said, "What well, you know, when you tour with Sharon, Lois and Bram, when you come back, people don't say, where did you play? They say, where did you eat? I feel like that's, I feel like that's a good thing. I feel like that's like a kind of like an inside thing where it's like, you know, like, okay, you toured with them, but where'd you eat? It's like, oh, we went to Pizza Hut. They must not like you that much. It's like. <laughs> we didn't go to um, Pizza Hut. <laughs> so I, I guess my last question for you is, you know, when you look back at your career, all the things you've done, uh, like the awards, um, you know, touching all these children in the way that you've performed the songs and the parents, like what exactly would you want people to remember as your legacy? I think the most important thing from my perspective is that hopefully because of our music, they've taken music into their lives and that's a forever, a, a forever gift really if they've learned from us that that they can own that music that they can sing anytime that it's always with them so i i think if our legacy is that people have received our music taken it into their lives and know that they can use it forever that's about as good as i think it gets that's going to do it for this episode of tobin tonight our thanks to sharon and randy for coming on the show remember you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.